God is good, isn't he? And God is an amazing, amazing person to be associated with. You know, with that, uh, I've been blessed to know Pastor Jonathan for, like he said, the last couple years. Pastor Jonathan's not only just my pastor, but he's also a very dear friend of mine. He holds me accountable in my life. He calls me out in areas of my life where I maybe need to pick my game up, to set my game up, to be a better father, to be a better uh, spouse, to be a better leader, not only in the marketplace, but in the ministry. I'm extremely blessed to have Pastor Jonathan speaking into my life. And if you don't have someone right now that can keep you accountable, call you out when you're doing things wrong, saying, hey, man, you need to, you need to step your game up. That ain't cool. That's whack in the eyes of God. That's Pastor Jonathan for me. And guys, you guys all have an amazing pastor, Pastor Daniel Quimby. You guys know that, right? Woo! Man, I love Daniel. He oozes friendliness, right? Like his heart is on his sleeve. He talks about you guys passionately on Wednesdays about how much he loves you guys and how much he's excited to see the journey that you guys are going on spiritually. You guys are truly blessed to have Pastor Daniel speaking into your lives and everybody here that helps on uh, Tuesday evenings. So guys, I'm going to be speaking to the audience uh, for those of you that don't plan to go into full-time ministry. Do I cover a few of us here? Good, good. It would have been super awkward if everybody didn't raise their hand. I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to speak a message that doesn't apply to you. Okay, well, what I want to encourage you tonight, I'm hoping that these are some of the, the things that you're going to leave with tonight, that God can use you regardless of your profession, to do big and mighty things in the kingdom of God. That you can be a gatekeeper between the marketplace and the church. That those that are in the marketplace play integral roles in the Great Commission. That our obedience to the Holy Spirit can be a powerful partnership with the church. I hope tonight that you're leave with a renewed sense of purpose to go out into your classrooms Go out into your fields, go out into the hallways, go out into the workplace, go out in the marketplace and partner with God to do his will. Something my uncle always used to tell me that every opportunity that we have to give a sermon, we need to. And every once in a while, we may have to use words. Get that? We must live a lifestyle that demands an explanation. We don't have to have a fashion degree to model what it looks like to be like Jesus right? We need to live lifestyles that demand an explanation that people see that there's something uniquely different about you. They just can't, they can't put their finger on it. There's something different about this person. I just don't get it. And that door may be open to say, Clint, I don't get it. You're kind. You're friendly. You do these things, yada, yada, yada. Tell me what's different about you. And I tell them, let me tell you about a person that has transformed my life that has changed my perspective on life. He has given me grace. He's given me hope. He's given me a passion. His name is Jesus. And the person that you speak to and that you see today has been transformed because of a personal relationship with him. That's what it means to live a lifestyle that demands an explanation, that others will see something uniquely different about you and their question what it is, and that door may be opened. A passage that we're going to camp out on tonight is in, in the book of Acts. I'm going to talk about two passages tonight, two verses, and that's going to be a, a, a short message tonight. Maybe 20, 30 minutes, unless I get on rabbit trails. So in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. 
So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, to those who happened to be there. Let's pray as we jump in tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace that you have for us and the mercy that you've shown for us. God, I pray that tonight your truth would be revealed in a way that maybe we haven't seen before. God, I pray that the words that you've given me tonight will transform our mindsets on what our purpose of our careers should be. God, give us the strength, give us the courage to be bold with our faith so that we can truly live lifestyles that demand an explanation. Amen. So let's set this passage up. Uh, Pastor Daniel said that you guys have been walking through the book of Acts, an amazing uh, book in the Bible. They all are, but this is a really, really fun one for me. So this is where Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're going about fulfilling the Great Commission, going from community to community, telling them about this Jesus character, right? So the, the, a couple chapters before this, they go to a town, I'm probably going to butcher, but Thessalonica, you know, this is German or something, right? They go to this community, and Paul is going to this community, telling them about Jesus. He says, this Messiah that we've heard about as a Jewish tradition, he is here, he has come, he has laid his life upon the cross, and his God, the Father, the ones we worship, has raised him from the dead. And while he's there, he persuades many people to follow the way. But then there's some jealous Jews. Jealous Jews are not good And they just don't like the fact that this guy just prancing in here proclaiming this Messiah has come and he has risen. So they're upset, y'all. They are way upset. So they go to the marketplace. They go down to the merchants like, yeah, there's this dude. He's talking about this Messiah. We got to get him out of here. So these rowdies in the marketplace get them out of the community. But Paul and Silas and Timothy and the others are like, hey, man, we did good. We accomplished. We persuaded many to follow the way. And they said, we're just going to a new community. Or go to Berea, and they head to Berea, and there they go and do the same thing. They start proclaiming who Jesus is, and many are persuaded about the truth of Jesus Christ. But guess what? Someone heard something. Those jealous Jews over in Thessalonica, am I getting this right? It's way off. And they hear about it, and they jump on their donkeys, and they get on up over that way. They get them rowdy guys from the marketplace, and they hear about this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they say, hey, Paul, hey, man, You've done good, bro, but head off to the coast. Let's let the dust settle a little bit. We're tidy things up here, and we'll meet you back on the coast. So Paul starts heading to the coast, and that's where we pick up as he enters the city of Athens. See, Athens is the center of Greek culture. This is a place of magnificent buildings, buildings made of granite and marble. There's things to be seen, wonders that you haven't seen before. They're worshiping all these different gods. They knew there was a God, it says a few verses later, to an unknown God. They knew that there was a God. They just didn't know who he was. And these people are worshiping all these things. The brilliant minds of the time are meeting in, in Athens. The philosophers, this is an educational hub. This is like you and I campus where people are coming to grow intellectually and speaking with other brilliant minds. This is Athens. This is a place to behold. So this would be like an experience of taking where Pastor Jonathan used to be a missionary before he was a pastor in the remote villages of India. This would be like going on one of those two-day journeys through the mountains on a motorbike because that's the only way to get there unless you wanted to ride a horse, but no one wants to ride a horse, so you'd ride a motorbike, and it'd take two days to get there, and you get to this village, and there's all these people that have been in that village their whole life. They haven't been outside of that village. They've been in that jungle. They've been in that mountainside. They don't know much other than that village. 
That'd be like taking that person and flying them over to Las Vegas at night and plopping them down. They're going, whoa, what is this? These flashing lights, electricity, things are going off. They're seeing all these women walking around. They're like, whoa, that's interesting. And then maybe those lustful thoughts are turning into fleshly fulfillment of the lust. And there's just all this sin. They're saying, this is wrong, but this is interesting. Then it'd be like maybe taking them to New York City and they walk and they go, whoa, what are these giant mountains with glass everywhere that see my reflection? Who is that person, right? This is an amazing sight to behold, the, 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 the city of Athens at this time. So in verse 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. The two words here that really stick out is greatly distressed. Pastor Jonathan talked about how uh, schoolwork can be stressful. I was there. It's like, oh my gosh, I can do a paper. You got to do a paper, right? But then it comes crunch time. It's like, oh my gosh, the teacher's so mean because I procrastinated. That was just me. But it can be extremely stressful. We go, oh, we can relate. Greatly distressed. We can relate to that. We can understand what Paul is going through. But the thing is, when we translate greatly distressed into Greek, it's a word called paroxysm. It means a sudden, violent emotion. I've had sudden, violent emotions throughout my life. Some that uh, sound louder and louder inside my head. Uh, BC in my life, before Christ, uh, my anger would snap like that, instantaneous, and I'd be engulfed in rage instantly. A sudden, violent emotion. Other times in my life, as I went through a five-year journey with my mom as she went through cancer and ultimately passed away, that's how I, I celebrated my graduation at, at, at Warper College was my mom passing away before I walked down the aisle. Throughout that time, finding out she had cancer, that the cancer had come back, that the cancer had come back and there's not a lot of hope anymore or to the point when I'm holding my mom's hand and I hear her and see her take her final breath on earth. At those moments, there was a sudden violent emotion that erupted inside my body where my body quaked with emotion of happiness that my mother's walking home but yet the pain and reality that she will not be there to see my child born, will not see there to be my, my brother get married, I have had a sudden rush of emotion. But one thing that stands out above all this, I'm trying to get you guys to understand what greatly distressed meant and felt like to Paul. There was this young man when I was, shortly after my mom, I think a year later my mom passed away, there was this young man named Joshua Young. He was from our community. He was a distant relative of my wife, but a close family friend of our, of our family. Joshy, one, uh, one night, decided to go out, do like I did, and I'm sure none of you have ever done, went out drinking as a high schooler, and he drank too much. Joshy got in a car with uh, another guy that drank way too much, and they went driving down a road, driving way too fast, and you know the story. You know the story. The car rolled. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He flung out. His head hit a rock in the ditch, and game over. At that moment, it was a sudden rush of emotion when we hear that this happened. We're waiting at the hospital, but who's not there is his parents. His parents are two hours away, and the whole time they're talking to us on the phone and all the family saying, we don't believe it. We will not believe it. You bring him up. You raise him from the dead. No, we will not accept this. As they drive two hours, they're living in a false reality. They're in denial that their son is really gone. But I can remember, I can remember them walking down the emergency room hall at the Waverly Hospital, and they're walking down that hall with a feverish desire to get in that room, but yet they don't want to get in that room, but they want to get in that room, but they don't want to get in that room. And then they get in that room, and I can still remember the father 
Joshy, Joshy, no! And he's throwing the chairs. He can't believe it because the truth had been revealed. There was a sudden emotional rush that overwhelmed him at that moment. This type of sudden, violent emotion is what Paul was experiencing at that moment. See, as he began looking around at these false gods that these people were worshiping, he saw people lost in a pagan culture. Pagans were people that didn't believe in the same God as you. He saw people that were absolutely blinded by Satan, that they were searching for status and riches and understanding, and they may have looked like they had it all, but yet he saw that they were extremely lost. See, Paul was sent into absolute spiritual upheaval. See, he was furious to an unhealthy level that they were worshiping false gods because it says the greatest commandment is to love your God, your father. And these people weren't worshiping that father of his. So he's angry, but yet at the same time, he was knocked to his knees in grief for the loss. It broke his heart that these people did not know the truth about their God and that their son, Jesus Christ, had come to this earth for them. It broke his heart and it sent him in to an absolute spiritual upheaval. There was a tornado of emotions going on inside of Paul at that moment. Because what broke God's heart broke Paul's heart as well. See, Paul's heart was devastated for the lost. God's heart was to have a personal relationship with all mankind and that the lost would be found. God's heart broke for the lost and Paul's heart broke for the lost. Our hearts should be broken for the lost. The thought of a friend sitting in this room or a friend that's sitting in the dorm room that chose not to come with you tonight, the thought of them not knowing and having a personal relationship with God should send you into a spiritual upheaval, a paroxysm of emotions, thinking that they could spend an eternity in hell. That is terrifying to know. I have a brother, I pray to God that at some point, some point, his heart will be softened. And at some point, God will punch him in the gut and he'll go, I need you and I want you. I pray to God that that happens. It kills me to think that he could be in eternity in a place where I'm not. That kills me. It should break our hearts for it breaks God's. See, Paul knew what his calling was because where the world's burdens and what breaks your heart collide, that's your calling. Paul was called to spread the gospel message as we're all called to do, but his calling was full-time ministry. See, my calling isn't full-time ministry, but I'm called to be a gatekeeper between the marketplace and the church. See, personally, I see a burden. I see a burden that millions of people in this world going through unexpected, tragic losses and being unprepared for it. I see a burden of millions of people, individuals and families, that want to enjoy retirement the way that they always dream, but yet they didn't plan well enough for it. That breaks my heart that people don't plan well enough and people are left in the wake of an emotional upheaval because of a tragic loss. That's one of the callings that God has placed upon my heart. Because in the emotional roller coaster that is finances, I'm there as a coach, I'm there as an encourager to give them a hope of a brighter day and sometimes be the deliverer of a bad news of you just didn't plan well enough. We need to adjust some of your goals. I've been able to pray with people in my office. I have had clients call me, say, Clint, I know you're a man of faith. I am going through a difficult time. Clint, there's a friend of mine. Clint, there's this. I need you to pray with me. I've had the opportunity to pray with them. I've gone to wakes and I've been able to hug family members and gotten that respect to say, thank you 
Thank you for taking care of my parents. Thank you for taking care of dad while mom was going through the nursing home. Thank you for helping us. These things have been able to help people and minister to people, even though it wasn't in my title. See, not all of our careers will be in ministry, but our careers should be about ministry. Teachers' hearts break for children, right? That's why they're going into the education field. They see children that come from broken homes that maybe don't feel loved by their parents. Maybe they see that there's children that have been bullied. There's children that have been ostracized. There's children that just don't get it. Education and learning is difficult, and that breaks those people's hearts, and that's why they've been called to the education field so they can be that solid ground for that student to stand upon and say, hey, you may not be loved at home, but this teacher right here, he cares for you. He loves for you. You know you're calling if God's placing that on your heart. Praise God if you know that. You all have a calling that God has placed upon your heart. You need to search your heart and get after it. Some of you already know what that calling is on your life. The rest of us, we need to do some deep soul searching to find out what it is. And I promise at some point it will be soon revealed what that calling that God has upon your heart. So verse 17, we've gotten through one verse. Verse 17 says, So he reasoned. Who reasoned? Paul, you guys are good. See, I'm a teacher. He reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, who happened to be there. See, Paul knew that to be the most effective for the kingdom of God, he couldn't just try to win people over in the church. He needed to be in the marketplace as well. He didn't just camp out at the church and wait for people to walk through those synagogue doors and jump them about this Jesus character, right? He went to where their people were, the marketplace. People got to eat. People got to wear clothes. So he's like, I'm going to the merchants. Hey, y'all, those are some nice oranges. Can I tell you about a guy? Right? Can you imagine the conversations Paul had with the merchants? I'll take two doves. I'll take a, a donkey's tail. And let me tell you about a savior of mine, Jesus. Whoa, powerful stuff there in the marketplace. A little bit different here these days. See, he went from the church to the marketplace but even though he wasn't in the same environment, his mission was the same, to tell people about Jesus. See, this is the role of a gatekeeper. A gatekeeper in the big cities, this is where the money would flow in and out of the city. They had a couple gates where people would come into the city and come out of the city. And who would be set up by the city gates? The merchants. The people trying to sell stuff, right? So we must be in the marketplace because that's where the people are, but yet we need to be a gatekeeper into the church. That's when we're called out of the church and in the marketplace, that's a calling that God's placed upon our life. See, I think God's calling me to be a gatekeeper. Another word we could use for that is a liaison between the marketplace and the church. I'm most effective in that way. See, I've got street cred when I'm in this full time as a financial advisor. Uh, six hours ago, I was wearing a suit. And now I'm trying to look hip and cool. Is it working? No, don't answer. Don't answer, all right? See, I'm a liaison between the marketplace and the church. I've got street cred when people say, well, you're just a pastor. I'm like, no, I'm not, actually. I don't get paid to be a pastor. I've got street cred when I'm full-time devoted follower of Christ, but yet a full-time person in the marketplace. Gives you street cred. Gives you some credibility. See, early in my career, I used to work 40 hours a week, and it was 40 hours a week, man. Like five minutes before, four o'clock every day. It's like, see, I'm out the door, right? That's what I did early in my career. That was before Edward Jones. 
But at the same time, at night, I was doing skits at the church. I was doing plays. Can you believe it? I was theatrical. And I would practice at night. I would lead Bible studies for, uh, like, Andrew Steyer in the back. Man, I was so pumped to see you here. And Matthew Mummelfi. Man, some of the original guys that used to listen to me all the time. And look at they're still okay. <laughs> I would help in the youth room. I would help as an usher. I'd f- sometimes fill in at the pulpit and do a tithe message. I was a fully devoted follower of Christ, both in the marketplace and in the church. See, I worked at a place that didn't have much hope for a better day. I worked at a nursing home. But I chose to bring hope and happiness to a depressing environment. I was a marketing director, but so much more. I prayed with staff who've lost loved ones. I prayed for staff that were going through difficult times. I prayed with residents who just did not want to be there and their family did not show up. It's a difficult and a depressing environment. I would lead mass and church services when the fathers and the pastors weren't able to make it because of the inclement weather. I showed them who Jesus was, and many times I didn't even have to speak. But every once in a while, my words were warranted. I wasn't afraid to share who Jesus was to my coworkers and the residents that resided there. See, my career was not in ministry, but my career was about ministry. I chose to bring hope and love in an environment that starved and desperately needed hope. See, I've always felt a strong pull to the church, but never a full call to it. Catch me? Catch me, Pastor? All right. Over the years, I've dove into Scripture. I've read books to advance my spiritual growth. I've gone to the youth retreats. I've, or not youth retreats, but men retreats and youth retreats. I've eliminated music in my life that wasn't pleasing to God. I gave up drinking because Joshua Young's story, at that point, I said, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. I will, not, I will not allow my son to see that if I drink a beer while I, I mow, it's acceptable to go to the next level. I just made that choice. I've done things because I'm fully devoted to following Christ. I try to model after God-fearing men like Pastor Jonathan and Nathan and Tom and Matthew here in the back. Say, I want to look like that when I'm 30. I want to look like that when I'm 40. I want my kids to look like that when they're 10. I want my kids to look like that when they graduate high school. I've chosen to model after God-fearing, God-loving people. Over the past 13 years, my life has been out of control for God. And the blessing about my career is that the decisions I make, I always ask the question, how can this help the church? See, as a business owner, I can choose when to be there so then I can choose when to serve the church. And I can say, hey, I want to make more money because then I can give more money to the church. I'm a gatekeeper between the marketplace and the church. There's a calling upon your life to be in the marketplace because we need dough to grow the Great Commission, right? That wasn't in there. That wasn't in there. Can I share a little bit about myself? Okay. Do I have your permission? Growing up, I was always a numbers guy, like weird numbers guy. Like I used to play PlayStation Dynasty Baseball, and they kept statistics on those machines, not good enough. I had notebooks of statistics. Like, I'm pretty sure I was in fantasy baseball beyond where we're at right now 10 years ago. You following me? Like 20, 30 years in the Dynasty Yankees. Like, fake names, like the computer's like, well, that fake person two years ago just had a fake baby, and now he's your new player for the Yankees. Like, that's how advanced I was. And I keep statistics. He had two hits tonight, and he had 25 hits in the week. And I'd keep those statistics. I'd be out in the front yard hitting wiffle balls, and I'd go over to my pad, like, that was a single. 
I go over here, home run. That was, that was a home run. And I keep the statistics, man. I was a numbers guy. The baseball cards, I could memorize those things. Like Wade Boggs, 1998, batted 303. He had 24 home runs. Those are, these are false. But at that point, I could have remembered those statistics because I was kind of weird. I've grown up, though. I was a banker's child, too, so I was always taught, save, 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 save. Don't spend. Save, save, save. Don't spend. Numbers guy. But yet I was a dreamer. I was a lot like Joseph, man. I was always dreaming. Uh, you look at me and you look, look like I'm just looking out in space. No, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming about something. And I've always had dreams of owning my own hunting ground, of having my own ground to go take friends and family out to to enjoy that. I've been a dreamer. See, numbers and dreams have always been there, and that's kind of been my calling. I'm kind of a numbers guy, but yet I see the serious long-term financial goal that I've been dreaming about all this time, and how do we get to that point? And I get to help people with those decisions to get them there. But at the same time, what breaks my heart is that there's children, people, but specifically youth, that don't have hope, that they don't feel loved. And it breaks my heart that there's children that question, why should I live if I come from a broken home, if my dad beats me, if my dad has nothing to do with me, if I get bullied at school, if I'm just a nerd, a numbers nerd that keeps stats in a, play, in a notebook on PlayStation. What's the purpose of living? And they question that. That breaks my heart that they don't know about the hope of a Savior that loves them beyond measure, a Father that said, I love you. I want a personal relationship. That's why I created you. How can I have you in this, enter this, this personal relationship so I'll send my son? Oh man, this is going to be hard, but I will send my son to stand in your place. Because the only way to the Father is through the Son because he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? He loves us beyond measure and it breaks my heart that people don't know that. That's also part of the calling that God has placed upon my life. See, I was there once. As a sixth grader, I was, and this isn't funny, I was seriously an outcast. I had a good buddy of mine that thought my, my uh, it's not funny, wife. <laughs> I had a friend of mine that thought I had a, a, a goofy laugh. It's been called a, a weasel laugh. He ever keep me, get me laugh? Yeah, a funny star, he's the one that coined it. A weasel laugh but he wasn't that guy. So there's this guy that thought my laugh was weird, and he was the guy. 180 kids in school, they looked at this guy. He thought I was weird and stupid, so they ostracized me. Man, my life sucked as a sixth grader. I woke up every morning going, oh, I got school. <laughs> hey, mom, hey, dad. Go to school, and for eight hours, I sat there going, why am I here? No one wants to be my partner, not even the nerd that can't even look out of his glasses. He wants nothing to do with me. No one wanted anything to do with me. Because I was an outcast. And I contemplated it a lot. What's the purpose of living? And I was probably pretty darn close until a fifth grader did it before me. Committed suicide. Crushed me. Sixth grade was horrible. And that's about the point when I was leading a, a Bible study at my house with my wife. Now with a bunch, started with a bunch of wrestlers and turned into a bunch of kids. That a student at the Waverly Shock School said, you know what, there's nothing to live for. And he shot himself. And it broke my heart. Because I was getting there. He was one of the wrestlers. There's eight or ten of them wrestlers there on a, on a whatever night we met. Grappling for faith, as I think we call it. Grappling, grappling, wrestling. It's a catchy name. They didn't like it, but I thought it was good. It, brushed, it crushed my heart because every week we're getting one of those wrestlers to come. Another one of them wrestlers to come. Because those wrestlers, they're tough. Man, I was a wrestler. I wasn't tough, but I was, I was a wrestler. I'm like, I'm getting close. I'm getting close. I'm getting close. Too late. It was over. Broke my heart. And if I just had a little bit more time, if those kids had just been a little bit more bold, it crushed my heart that that student didn't know about the hope of Jesus Christ. 
God's placed this calling on my heart, but it's not my calling. It's part of it. Just like Paul was sharing the gospel in the church, I do that. But just as Paul was out in the marketplace to share the gospel, so must we. Being in the marketplace is part of my calling. It's a large part of it. My calling is to be a gatekeeper between the church and the marketplace because people enter through those city gates. And just like the merchants that are saying there, they need to know about Jesus as well, even the ones that attend the churches do too. See, again, my career isn't in ministry, but my career is certainly about ministry. God's placed me where I am, and I have no right to be complacent. So let me tell you quickly why God has intentionally placed me in the marketplace and how I've leveraged that in the last four years. See, within my firm, Pastor uh, shared a little bit, I'm in an area of influence within my, my firm and within my region, and I take every opportunity to share who Jesus Christ is by living a lifestyle that demands an explanation. See, within four years, he, he talked about I'm in a production of eight, level eight. That means nothing to you, and I'm not going to share more details than that, but there's 10 levels that they can measure at Edward Jones. Level 10 can just keep going forever, but I'm at level eight. That doesn't happen very often to get to that level that quick. So I've earned respect from my colleagues. They go, man, this young dog has been here for four years. He's at level eight. I've been here for 20 years. I'm at level eight. What the hey? And that opens the door to say, man, what are you doing? Tell me about, like, what? Like, I mean, 20 years, four years, and you're, I mean, tell me about it. And I'm like, let me tell you something. I believe in this golden rule this wise guy told me to treat others as I want to be treated. It says in Ecclesiastes 2.26, for the one who pleases God, he gives them the knowledge, wisdom, and happiness. And to the sinner, he gives them the task of going out to gather up wealth to come over and hand it over to the one who pleases God. It's a life verse of mine. It makes sense for a financial advisor because that's what people do. They walk in and say, hey, invest my money. They've gone about working about to gather up that wealth. But then it sends at the end, all this is a chasing after the wind. But the key part of this phrase is to the one who pleases God. Now, if you do all these different things, then you get this. It says, if you please God, I'll give you knowledge, wisdom, and happiness. That sounds like a good life. How do you define happiness? You define happiness. I don't think God's going to make you rich if you please him. But he's going to make you happy. He's going to place hope upon your life. You can find fulfillment in the career that he's put upon your heart. At award ceremonies, it's kind of weird, but at these award ceremonies in the summer, we all go to a remote village. We go out to some lake. <laughs> we go out to some lake for the, the regional meetings. And at these meetings, they give out awards for the year of what they accomplished and these things that they did and all that. And, uh, and at that night, they always ask, hey, give us a highlight song, like baseball. And like, now batting, Derek Jeter. And Derek Jeter come out there and they play a 10-second clip of his favorite song. Like, everybody's kind of goose around about that. Like, my good buddy's, like, played the Frozen one year. and He's a Christian guy. Another guy's, like, ACDC. Like, you know, they're, like, people go nuts. And here comes my song this year. I got to remember what it is. I don't want to say it wrong. Let it be known that our God lives. We're saved. And everyone's like, you know, I was like, yeah, that's right. My God lives. Because I'm right here because of him. Thank you for that award. And I walk back to my seat. And I sit down with some of those guys that are cursing. like, oh, Whew, that was convicting. <laughs> Maybe next year I should do one of the Christian songs I actually listen to. I'm like, yeah, that'd probably be good. <laughs> more, more recently, I had an opportunity to be at a, a, a meeting down in Cedar Rapids where in our region, which is the northeastern part of Iowa, there's a hundred of the most influential people in their communities. 
financial advisors like myself that are key stakeholders in their communities. They're the ones advocating for change and helping spur on the economy. They're there. And I'm in an integral role within my, my region. Did I tell you that? So every regional meeting, I get the pleasure of presenting on different topics. But in those topics, I don't miss an opportunity to share a little bit about the big JC in the house. You know what I mean? Right? So I'm talking about what we need to do and all this stuff. And I say, hey, before I get off this, it wasn't stage, but off this floor, I just want to make sure I just speak into your guys' lives. Something that I've been struggling with is asking myself, what am I investing in? Because remember, this is a very busy time of the season, but what am I sacrificing at home? What am I sacrificing in my spiritual growth? If that's in a priority in your guys' life, like it is for me. And I have that opportunity to just speak a little bit of truth into some of the 100 most influential people that I wouldn't get a time of day if I had them on a one-on-one basis. Every opportunity we have to give a sermon, we need to give it. Sometimes like that, you can use words too. The, the story I want to share with you is uh, at one of these meetings, I'm not always in meetings, but one of these meetings within our firm, there's a region. And then within the region, there's areas. And then there's the, re- the firm. So I'm one of the key leaders in our region. And we're having our call with our regional leader, our area leader, instead of our general partners at our home office. And on this call, they're talking about, hey, strategies, what are you guys going to do? What are you going to do? And it comes to me in my area. And I say, hey, so I read this book called The Sticky Church. It tells about this awesome concept that if we have a huge wide open doors and we just let people flood in, but yet we don't close the back door, what's the purpose? I said, I think that thought applies to sticky branches. That if we're just worrying about trying to recruit new clients, but yet not trying to retain the old ones, what's the point? So I was able to share a little bit there. And after that, that phone call, my regional leader calls me after it's all done and goes, hey, Clint, hey, man, great strategies and stuff, but I just want you to just be a little bit careful about, you know, um, like, uh, like talking, like, um, like sharing your, you know, faith. Like just, you know, just uh, be careful. And I'm like, before you go any farther, I just want you to know that when God puts something on my heart, I'm going to share it. Because when God puts something on my heart, he's pulling on my heartstrings. He's saying, this is your time to speak. When your heart gets that pull, that's the Holy Spirit saying, speak it. I put it there. And I said, it says that if I didn't, why would I not do that? Is it because I'm ashamed and I'm scared of what people say? Because I'm pretty sure there's a pretty clear verse in the Bible. You've heard the Bible. I know you are. You're a devout Christian. You've told me that. It says that if you are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you in front of the Father. If I lose my position, if I lose my job in this career, it's because of my faith, then by golly, Miss Molly, let it be. And at that moment, he goes, boy, Clint, you're, <laughs> you kind of convicted me there. Uh, okay. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, so I've had an opportunity to share who Jesus is in a place that is trying to get him squeezed out. See, God has put me in an area of influence because he knows that I can be trusted to be a gatekeeper between the marketplace and the church. See, gatekeepers are called by God to operate both in the church and in the marketplace because we have the ability to function well in both. Gatekeepers bring resources from the marketplace to the church and from the church to the marketplace. Remember that not everybody in the marketplace, when you go out in the real world, your parents have said that to you many times, and they're right, there is a real world out there and it's waiting for you. But when you go out in that real world, not everybody's going to be fun and truthful and full of integrity. I warn you this. So being in the church can be very therapeutic for gatekeepers. 
There's a world-class sales expert. His name was Zig Ziglar. What a fun name. He says, you always have everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. So here's the truth. People want to feel loved. They want to know that someone cares about them. They want to have hope for a better day, peace and comfort during difficult times. In order to help people with what they want, we need to give them what they need, which is an opportunity to respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Some of the best opportunities for this to happen is to be involved both in the church and in the marketplace, just as Paul taught us in those couple verses in Athens. So again, even though we may not be entering into full-time ministry, our careers need to be about ministry. I'm going to invite Pastor Jonathan and the worship band up here, and I'm going to close this out in prayer. I know there's some of us in this room that have that calling on our heart. We know this is where God wants us to go. And for a lot of us, like me, it's not full-time ministry. For others of you, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know where God wants me. I just want to pray for you. Is that okay? Let's all, let's all bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you've called each one of us for a unique and special purpose in your kingdom. God, part of the Great Commission isn't for all of us to be pastors because there will be no one to be with the merchants. God, I pray that the ones that you've called to be in the marketplace will be bold and courageous to live lifestyles that demand explanations. I know there's some of us that have been called to the marketplace. We know what that course is. God, I pray that you start building us up to be bold and learn to live lifestyles that reflect and model who you are, to live with unconditional love and humility just as Jesus has modeled for us. There's others in this room that they maybe don't know what that is yet. God, I just pray that as they seek deep in their souls, they'll find what breaks their heart and what breaks yours, where those two things meet will be their calling that you placed upon their life. God, I pray that it will be revealed to them in a bold letter across their forehead that it will leap out of their mouth and say, this is what God has called me to do. God, what a rewarding job, what a rewarding career to be when we know that we can be gatekeepers between the church and the marketplace. God, I know that each one of these people in this room are going to do great things, great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. God, I pray that they will, they will worry about building up the next generation around them, that people will see them and they'll say there's something different about them. I got to know what makes them different. Why are they so kind? Why are they so ethical? Why are they so moral? What is different about them? Why do they care about people? Why do they love everybody? That person backs them, but yet they didn't care. Why? That we'll be able to share how Jesus Christ has transformed our lives and we can allow God to go to work in that person. God, I just pray for favor and blessing over each one of these young men and women as they go out in the marketplace to make an impact in the kingdom of God. God, we ask this in your holy name. Amen.